0: Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations.
1: So a couple jokes. I read about a fourth grader who wanted to celebrate his birthday, but he was on crutches due to a cast on his broken leg. And when it was time to go to school, he couldn't carry the cupcakes into the school that he wanted to share with his classmates. So his mom asked their sixth grade brother, Noah, to help his brother carry them in. And Noah said, well, I could, but I'd prefer not to. So spotting a teaching moment, his father asked Noah, son, what would Jesus do? To which Noah responded, Jesus would heal him so he could carry his own cupcakes. (laughs) All right, one more. Uh, In the foyer of a church, there was a young boy, and he was looking at a plaque that was up on the wall with with names of men and women who had died in various wars. And the pastor was there, came up next to him, and and the boy asked, he said, Pastor, who, who are these people? And the pastor said, these are members from our church over the years who died in service. And the boy asked, the early service or the second service? <laughs> all right. Well, let me pray, and then we're going to dive into God's word. I hope you brought your Bible, either electronically or physically, if you're like me. And um, we'll, le- we'll learn some things from God's word. Um, Father, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to share your word with your people. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us all to receive your word. We choose to treasure your commands within us, incline our ear to wisdom, and apply our hearts to your understanding. Lord, we just cry out for discernment, and we lift up our voice for you to give us understanding, God, in everything that your word says. And we choose wisdom, godly wisdom, your wisdom above silver and gold, and our heart is to search for her as hidden treasure. For then, Lord, we'll understand the fear of the Lord, and we find the knowledge of God. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. That prayer was right out of Proverbs chapter 2. So a quick review. The last time I had the privilege of sharing God's word here, um, I want to talk a little bit about that. I One of my core key verses was 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and it's right there on the screen, I believe. Just a minute here. There we go. It's right there on the screen. And this scripture says, let's read it together here. Um, How may the God of, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So sometimes I know I'll ask Christians, I say, well, they'll ask me a question like, what's the difference between the soul and the spirit? And if I'm made in the, the likeness and image of God, what, what, is, what, what, are the, what does that mean? This scripture helps define that in the New Testament. I like years ago when I first came to Christ, um, I heard a minister say this. He says, practice saying and teach your kids to say, I am a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in this body. Let's say that together. I am a spirit, I have a soul, I live in this body. Now those are pretty easy things. We know that your your, um, body... We make plans to take care of that, and I'm sure that many of you today have plans to eat lunch after uh, after after church. How many How many have a plan for that? Oh, I do. And uh, we'll do things to take care of our bodies. We'll eat nutritional food. We'll exercise. We'll We'll take vitamins. We'll do all kinds of things to to help maintain our health. Go see the doctor when we're not feeling well. And then we'll do things to to grow our minds, which is our mind, will, and emotions. We'll take time to attend school, read books, follow social media on a specific subject, study specific topics, pay to go to college, and search out counseling to better understand situations. So my question was last time, and I talked about it, was what about our spirit, our heart? And I shared. That as we, as we walk through the practical application, last time I talked about the armor of God. And last week, Pastor J.D. once again revisited the armor of God. And how you can live that out as a Christ follower. Because the, the truth is, if you don't have a plan to grow spiritually and follow in that plan, you're most likely not going to grow to spiritual maturity in Christ. You'll stay a spiritual baby, which means that you'll be dominated by desires of the flesh, easily deceived by the enemy of your soul, or easily swayed by people's opinions or behaviors. So think about that. Every day, every week, every month, we all make plans for things we're going to do in the natural with our bodies. And we make plans, take our kids to school, pay for them to go to college, take them to a doctor if they're sick, give them vitamins to strengthen their immune system, we make plans on a regular, regular basis to strengthen those two areas of our life, don't we? The question is, for you and me, I posed last time was, what are we doing spiritually to help us grow consistently and to lead our families to grow spiritually? Now, you may say, well, Pastor Bob, I I pray every day, and that's good, that's a great start, and we're going to talk about that. But when I look at my life and I think, okay, okay, Lord, how, how intentional am I being at growing my life spiritually, leading my wife, our kids, and our 12 grandkids? Yes, I have 12 grandchildren. All, 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 the, all the visitors said, oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, to lead them spiritually and help them grow, I've learned that I have to be intentional. If I am passive, I will stay spiritually mature, and they will stay spiritually mature. Because, um, brothers and sisters, all of us lead somebody. All of us lead somebody. They're looking to you. And what you establish and say, live out what is important, will make an impact on your kids and your grandkids and one day your great-grandkids, if you, if you live here on the earth that long. So this morning, I want to talk about the earmarks of revival. How many of you have ever prayed for a revival before? Let me see a show of hands. Anybody prayed for revival? Okay. I think pretty much most of us have. The question is uh, what does revival look like in your personal life? What, is it, what does it look like in a uh, church, nationally, or around the world? And I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. So my goal, this, my goal here is to invite you towards a pathway to revive and grow, here, catch this, in your first love for the Lord. Do some of you remember that? Yeah, I can remember my life when I asked Christ into my life, um, I, was, I was raised in, with religion. I knew about the Lord, but I was missing the key component about personally asking him to be the Lord of my life. But when I did that, there was this love that for him that just grew exponentially in my heart. And I remember I longed, longed for my time in prayer with him. Every day I would look forward to, oh my gosh, I'd get up early before Sherilyn and the baby um, would wake up for the sixth time. <laughs> and uh, I had a little closet that I went into and I would cleared out one side of it. And I'd put, uh, ran a cord in there, an extension cord, and had this thing called a cassette player. Some of you will have to Google that. (laughs) And I would play worship music to the Lord, and I would sing with the worship music to the Lord. And then I had a clamp-on light hooked onto the cross, the hanging bar for the clothes that I would turn on, and I would read the Bible, and I'd pray. And here's what happened My love for him continued to grow and wax stronger. In God's presence, like many of you experience here on Sundays when we worship him, God's presence would come into that closet, and he would meet with me there. And in the midst of my praying and worshiping, I learned to be quiet, and I started asking the Lord questions. And his spirit in the still, small voice would speak to me. I remember one time, I was just, oh man, I I was, I was new at this as, as could be. And I remember asking the Lord, Lord, I, what about this situation with Sherilyn and I? And Aaron was probably two years old, and she was probably pregnant with Katie, our second child. We have four grown children. And uh, I said, Lord, what about this, this, and this? What do I need to do about that? And the, and the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, study my word. And I responded, I don't have time to study the word. I need an answer to these questions. (laughs) But the Spirit of God kept speaking to me so gently, study my word. Do you know why? Because all the answers to your life's questions are right here in this Bible, the word of God. But I didn't know that as a new believer. But what I did know was I loved Jesus with all my heart. And I was so grateful for what he had endured for me to receive the free gift of salvation. So the question I posed was, how's your love life for the Lord, your first love, your love for his word, and how's your prayer life? Because this coming week, we're going to have the opportunity to lean into that and to grow using the altar boxes. It was interesting yesterday, Cheryl and I were Going to attend, we went to attend our grandson's soccer game at Siegel Park, and while driving there, we were we were driving down a, um, one of the side streets we'd gotten off of, uh, I think it was 840, and uh, I glanced up and here was a little bitty church, and on the sign it said this: "A family altar makes an altered family," and I thought, "Thank you, Lord." A family altar makes an altered family. What do we do at the place of the altar? We come and worship him. The Bible says in the New Testament, we bring the sacrifice of praise. We come to study his word. We come to fellowship. All that happens at the family altar in our own homes is what we want that to happen. So, before I uh, jump into my five points here, and if, you, if you're a note taker, write down five points and leave room in between. I want to read a true account of a previous revival that took place here in our own nation, not that long ago. Some have called this revival greatness from small beginnings, greatness from small beginnings. So bear with me here. Often in the midst of unlikely surroundings, in a day of small beginnings, revival is birthed. Have we forgotten that nothing's impossible for someone who believes and asks the Lord? In the middle of the 1800s, a tailor named Jeremiah Lanfear moved to Manhattan and established a clothing business. Jeremiah was a man beset by adversity, though. He lived during what's become known as the Panic of 1857, a time when the stock market crashed and the the United States was headed towards civil war. Jeremiah himself was virtually unknown. He was a tailor running a business without any influence or platform, yet his passion for prayer was unshaken. At the time, the United States was in tremendous spiritual, political, and economic decline. Does that sound familiar? Many people were disillusioned with spiritual matters because of preachers who had repeatedly predicted the end of the world in the 1840s. Agitation over slavery was breeding political unrest, and the Civil War seemed very near. By 1857, a large financial panic hit, and banks had failed. Railroads went bankrupt. Factories closed. Unemployment increased dramatically. Statistics tell us that one out of four families weren't working across this nation. In Lower Manhattan, a Dutch Reformed church was steadily losing members, largely because of population changes owing to immigration. Looking for help... They hired Jeremiah Lanfear, who was a layman, to try to reverse the trend with an active evangelistic visitation program. Despite his visitation ministry, though, church members were not gathering, and the small church continued to decline. In a risky step of faith, Jeremiah rented the hall on Fulton Street, still there today, and began advertising prayer meetings. On Wednesday, September 23rd, the invitation to drop by during lunch hour was printed and dispersed. The first week, six people showed up and they prayed. The same, inv- the same invitation went out the second week and by the time of third no and 20 people came and prayed by the third week of Jeremiah's advertising, his prayer meeting had 40 participants and the people asked to continue holding daily prayer meetings. something had started with this small group of believers, one person. Sometimes the enemy of our soul says, you're just one person, you can't make a difference. That's a lie from the pit of hell. One person can make a difference. You can make a difference in your family. You can make a difference where God's planted you at your place of work. You can make a difference in a church. Then on October 10th, so this is 17 days later, on October 10th, the stock market crashed. And suddenly people began flocking by the thousands to prayer meetings. Within just six months, 10,000 people were gathering daily for prayer in New York City alone. Soon, churches all across New York overflowed with daily prayer meetings. Tom will appreciate this. Fire departments and police stations opened up their facilities for prayer, and local businesses set aside rooms for employees to pray. Along with New York, many other places were being swept into the revival. Chicago's Metropolitan Theater was being filled for prayer with 2,000 people daily. Another group of 2,000 people were assembling for daily prayer in Cleveland, Ohio. Ohio. In St. Louis, Missouri, churches were filled up for months at a time as people met and cried out to God, and the movement swept over the eastern seaboard and pushed westward into our nation. Citywide awakenings struck Cincinnati, Ohio. Louisville, Kentucky... Detroit, Michigan, Indianapolis, Indiana, and innumerable smaller cities and towns across their nation. In February of 1858, George Gordon Bennett of the New York Herald newspaper gave extensive coverage to the prayer re- revival. Not to be outdone, the New York Tribune de- devoted an entire issue to the news of the revival in April of 1858. News of the revival traveled west by telegraph. This was the first revival in the history of man in which media played an important role. From the United States, the revival spread to Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and England. For two years, approximately 50,000 people a week came to Christ. Within a year of the start of the Fulton Street prayer meetings, over a million converts joined America's churches, and thousands of existing church members were born again or revived in their faith. What started as the Panic of 1857 became the Great Awakening of 1857. So what was the revival's lasting fruit? In this revival, it was the lay people, not the ministers or church leaders who led the momentum. It was prayer rather than preaching as the main focus the meetings themselves were informal. Any person could come up to pray or speak or lead the others in a song or give a testimony. They, had a, they held a five-minute limit to allow as many people as possible. The movement spread like wildfire and had outstanding fruit accompanying it. Reminds me of the recent revival at Asbury College in Kentucky. Some of the fruit was the fact that all of the school classes became interested in salvation. Thousands of backsliders returned to The Lord. Conversions greatly increased, and they saw Christians desiring greater discipleship and a deeper instruction in truth. Now catch this. Many families established daily devotions as a family. And entire communities underwent a noticeable change in morals. Preaching, which in many places had become intellectual and lifeless, now concentrated on the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the cross. As James Buchanan of Scotland summarized, it was was a time when new spiritual life was imparted to the dead and new spiritual health imparted to the living. Jeremiah Lamphere's obscurity, his lack of training, and his lack of financial resources didn't stop him. Why? He was so enamored with Jesus that he prayed his way through obstacles, making the most of his season of life. Zechariah 4.10 says this, Who dares despise the day of small beginnings, since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel? The phrase small things is particularly relevant to our journey with the Lord. Why? Because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In this manner, we see a theme of great revivals and revivalists being raised up from obscurity. Here's why. You see, obscurity is the seedbed for revival. It's proven throughout history. There have been many, many revivals. And when we study moves of God, we find a pattern of the Lord operating in an opposite manner to worldly expectations. We must remember that God works through the the dynamics of heaven rather than the mechanics of men. I have a book I've referred to and read when I went through a Bible college, but many times since. It's called God's Generals by Robert Slurton. It's written about men and women of God used by the Lord, but they were instruments simply by the Lord for a revival that happened in their city or their nation, or in some cases around the world. And some of them were just like Jeremiah Lanfear. The most obscure, unnoticed, unlikely person that you would expect to lead a movement. A great example, and I can remember her from when I was a kid, I'm old old enough to, is Catherine Kuhlman. She herself would say, she's not beautiful. She wasn't well-spoken. She didn't have any tremendous gifts or talents. She simply said, Lord, I'm available. And I'm going to pray. And as she did, she got to know the Lord. And the Lord started working miracles through her. And a ministry was birthed. And she ministered to people that... In the short run, came locally and then citywide, and then started to nationwide until the ministry grew to the point in the 1960s, she started at the leading of God in obedience to Him, a Sunday morning TV series led by Catherine Coleman. The title to it was I believe in miracles. And she would start out. She'd always start out a show with. She'd look right in the camera and she said, "I believe in miracles, because our God is a wonder-working God." And God would give her words and knowledge. She'd pray for people for healing. It was tremendous. She would be ministering on a stage, and suddenly stop in the middle of her, of her sermon, and she would say, "There's someone here, and you've been fighting a pain in this leg." It's broken or crushed, and the Lord is, me- is healing you right now. And then you'd hear this outburst of a scream where someone would stand up with their crutches by the side and say, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. Thank God I'm healed. But Catherine Kuhlman was nobody famous, didn't have training, but God used her mightily because she just said, God, I'm just one person, but I'm going to lean in. I'm going to lean in and pursue you. And whatever you have planned, I want that for my life. Kind of stirs your heart, doesn't it? It does mine. See, I don't have to be a Katherine Kuhlman or a Billy Graham because that's not God's plan for my life. But the plan that he has, I want to hear from him and learn to say, yes, God. And as I do each step, he'll open more doors. There'll be more opportunities. And you'll see the hand of God move in your life more and more and more. Do you believe in miracles? I think we're all a miracle. So now to my sermon. (laughs) So five points. Here we go. Number one, if you want to experience revival in your life, this isn't the only way, but I'm just going to give you some things that are proven through history. Number one, place all the ingredients of your life into the circle of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Place all the ingredients of your life into the circle of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That takes a determined decision, renewed every day. You can do this, though, in an instant. Or you may want to think about it. And really take 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 inventory of your life and say, Am I willing to put every area of my life into the under the influence of the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Every morning, I'd encourage you to pray a prayer something like this. Lord, I want you to be in control of every aspect of my life, control of my time, my habits and behavior, control of my money, my relationships. I submit myself to your authority. I yield my life to your lordship, choosing to be led by your spirit. Today, I choose to be a doer of your word and not just a hearer of your word, bringing glory to you in Jesus' name. Good prayer. We all need to do that daily. Romans twelve two, familiar portion of scripture, you all know it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer or present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In my life, I'm not sure how it is in yours, it seems like one day I can present my life to the Lord and be submitted to his leadership and and walk in with him. And then something happened, and oh my gosh, that body I put on that altar just rolls right off. And I find myself oh my gosh, saying or doing something in the flesh. But then I need to go back and say, Lord, forgive me for that. I confess it to you. I repent. And I want, I want that area of my life to come back into your lordship. It may be something I said, something I did, an attitude I had. But in a moment as a Christ follower, you can bring that back under the lordship of Jesus. 1 John 1.9 says this. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The start of that chapter begins with brethren written to the church. John was writing it to the church. And that word cleanse there means ongoing cleansing. We, may, we will stumble and fall But if we purpose in our heart immediately to confess it and repent, we can come, we can rise right back up under the lordship of Jesus. You can do this with your kids. Parents, how you lead your kids in this area will make a huge difference in their walk with the Lord. Realize your kids are going to, we know this, they're going to make mistakes, we call them, right? Sin, do something wrong, bad attitude, smart back, whatever it may be. But if you take a moment, not, not just to punish them, that's not the goal. The goal is to teach them. It's a teaching moment. So if you take a moment and say, hey, the reason we don't do that is because of this and what you did was wrong. So let's pray. And I want you to pray and ask the Lord to forgive you. And He will. And then that's not you. You want to be like Jesus, don't you? Sure, Dad, I do. Sure, I do. Well, then do this next time. But it takes an investment of your time. But it'll make a huge difference with your kids. Submitting our lives to God. Christians used to call this the full surrender or surrendering our lives. Anybody heard of that before? I know it's not in vogue currently, but the spiritual concept of that has never been more needed in my life and yours and in our nation. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Number two, never miss a day without a personal closed-door appointment with God, allowing Him to speak to you through His Word and responding to Him in prayer and repentance. Never miss a day without a personal closed-door appointment with God. In a, you know what? In a marriage, it's hard to keep the romance alive if the, couple, if the couple never communicates, if they don't talk to one another, if they don't engage, listen, interact, Well, it's hard to keep the revival fire of love burning in your heart if there's no regular planned communication with the Lord. Now, I know some Christians struggle with this, and I understand that. I did for a period of time in my walk with the Lord. And in some of those times, the truth was, I wanted to enjoy my bad attitude for a period of time before I repented. but I've learned his way is the best way. Realize it's a quality decision of living out of your priorities. So here's a question for you. Folks, if you aren't hearing the voice of the Lord consistently, the first question I have for you is, how's your daily private time with the Lord going? How's your daily private time with the Lord going? I strongly encourage you, plan a daily time with the Lord. It doesn't have to be at 6.57 a.m., although if that works for you, that's great. But have it with the Lord. When you come to him and you say, okay, Lord, this is my time with you, and you spend that time in worship and prayer and listening, you'll be a better husband and a better wife a better father and a better mother and a better employee and a better worker the rest of that day. Why? Because you'll grow in your sensitivity to the Spirit and He'll help you. I've lived this one out. I can remember seasons in my life where I submitted to the Lord and I could feel my flesh rising up and being upset over my over my little Aaron, who was a doer, 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 doer. And I'd say, I I need you to be still because we're trying to get this done. And my frustration grow that I was about to say something angry and the Holy Spirit say, guard your heart, guard your mouth. Remember you asked. (laughs) I'm like, okay, you're right, God. And then I would remember, okay, how am I going to address this in love, speaking the truth in love? as opposed to an outburst of my fleshly anger. See, all the parents are like, "Oh, boy, I've been there. Amen. I get it. But I can tell you, when I got that regularly weaved into my life, my personal time with the Lord, for me, it's in the mornings, first thing, before I have breakfast or anything. I have to get up early. If you come stay at my house, you'll probably notice I'm usually up between 4.30 and 5.30 in the morning. And the reason is because I want to have an hour of time just to seek him, to read his word. And then here's the part we we need to get better at as as Americans in the good old United States. Be still. Several years ago, I had the Lord speak to my heart and he said, son, I'm grateful when you bring your petitions and prayers and supplications to me with thanksgiving. You're doing exactly what my word says. He said, but I want you to flip it. And then you asked me, Lord, what do you want to say to my heart? He said, I want you to start your prayer life like this. Good morning, Father. I'm listening. It was putting a priority on what he had to say above what I needed to bring to him. And it made such a difference. Because it was like, Father, I recognize you as God. And my heart is open to what you have to say. I challenge you. Start, try it. Start your morning. Good morning, Father. I'm listening. And then listen for the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. He'll speak to you. And you know what? You'll walk away from there, being empowered by the Spirit of God to be a better wife, a better husband, a better father, a better mother. I've lived it out, it's made a difference. Amen, Pastor Bob. (laughs) All right. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 5 says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, this is Jesus speaking, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door... (laughs) Pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Notice in that portion of scripture, Jesus twice said, when you pray, not if you pray. The gospels, you can read through them, they'll record how Jesus rose early before daybreak, and would go off by himself and pray and listen to the Father. Now, I understand everyone's schedules different. I I get that. But I would encourage you, wherever you can weave it into your life, if you don't have a daily, personal, private time with the Lord, make that decision this week. We've given you the altar boxes. It's all about prayer. Seek seven days of prayer. This is your opportunity to establish that in your life. To begin a new routine. To say, I'm going to lean in spiritually and grow in this area. I know life's busy. I get it. You may have to be like me. You've got to get up a little earlier. More than likely, it'll probably just take away from some of that time we spend on social media. I love you, church. I read a statistic just recently that says the average person now in the United States spends 3.4 hours on their phone a day. Three hours, Checking, responding, searching, crazy. Psalm 5, verse 3 says, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. Catherine Marshall. Has anybody ever heard of Catherine Marshall before? She was a lady who wrote several books, mightily used by the Lord, particularly as an intercessor in prayer. She said this, he said, God, she said, God insists that we ask, not because he needs to know our situation, but because we need the spiritual discipline of asking. Number three, ask the Lord to fill you afresh with his Holy Spirit daily. Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. As as Christ followers, one of the greatest blessings available to us is a continual infilling of the Holy Spirit, a fresh infilling. This will happen. This will happen for many of you today as we were worshiping the Lord. You could sense his presence. He wants you to know, I'm here, I'm with you. He responds to your worship of him. Here's two things in that scripture that, I can, that tells me. It's a litmus test that I can tell if I'm walking in the spirit during the day or not. Number one, I have a song in my heart for the Lord. And it'll be different. I could hear something on Christian radio and that song, the the chorus to it will start just resonating inside me, and I'll sing it over and over and over. Like this morning, he is worthy of it all. Just singing that to the Lord. The second thing is, I'll have a I'll have a heart of gratitude and thankfulness. If I don't see either one of those in my life as I'm just walking throughout my day, then I think, oh my gosh, I need to come into the presence of the Lord. And back in the beginning, I'd get my cassette player out, put in a worship date, and worship the Lord. Nowadays, I might just have a, scripture, I mean, a song on my phone. I'll just play it and sing with the song. And because it's private, and I know how to make a joyful noise into the Lord, but maybe not carry a tune. God loves it. There's no measurement on how well I do or do not. I just sing with my heart. And I get this sense from God of a smile on his face and pleasure in his looking down and seeing. Worship the Lord. Have a song in your heart. Be thankful. Have your heart be filled with gratitude for even the small things. Um, often now, I can see both in my life and my wife's life, we'll be driving along I'm like, Lord, thank you that you said, send the rain on the just and the unjust, that you water the earth, that things are green and blooming and, because you created them for our enjoyment and all the different flowers and trees and animals. I know there's a lot of evil going on, but I'm not going to put all my focus on that, that's for sure. Well, that will wear you down. Put your focus on the things that you see the Lord in the midst of this, a rainbow in the sky, a cool breeze blowing across your path, a son or a daughter that comes up to you and just hugs your leg and says, I love you. Thank you, Lord, for those things. If you ask the Lord to show you, there's so many things every day we can be thankful for and have a heart full of gratitude. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's see here. Am I doing on time? I still got 14 minutes. Okay. I want to read Isaiah 40, verse 25 through 31, because there's a takeaway here for us. Isaiah 40, verses 25 through 31. To whom then will you liken me, or to whom shall I be equal? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high, and see who has created these things. Who brings out the host by number? He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? He neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the young men shall faint and grow weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That portion of scripture, I did a study on it once in the Hebrew. That word, wait upon the Lord, the Hebrew word literally means... A divine exchange. That is, we worship Him and wait upon Him and bring our cares to Him. The Bible says in the New Testament, cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. He takes those cares and then gives us His joy. He'll take those problems and lift them from you, any worry or concern, and give you His peace. It's a divine exchange. It's a real experience for a Christ follower that's available to you. But we have to learn to wait upon the Lord. That's the challenge. Now, I'm not saying waiting like sometimes I hear Christians say, oh, well, what's going on with such and such? Oh, I'm just waiting upon the Lord. I'm not talking about it. The context of this scripture has to do with your personal time with the Lord and your giving, bringing your. Supplications, prayers, and requests to him. And then giving them to him. And then receiving his peace, his understanding, his direction. That's still small voice. And from that comes strength. Strength in your heart. Strength in your faith to believe. It'll help you in your walk. So we're talking about Revival personally first. I don't know about you, but I need a spiritual refreshing every day. His presence and coming into his presence with prayer and thanksgiving and worship makes such a difference. Colossians 3.15 New Testament says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 38, Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. One translation says, Rivers of living water will flow from within him. Number four, and I've already spoke somewhat on this, so I'll, I'll go quickly. Number four, as you leave your secret time, the secret room, and go into your day, consciously remember the reality of God's presence. He goes with you. There was a great missionary from years ago called George Brown of India. He was known for his constant awareness of God's nearness. And when a friend asked him about it, he said, God, yes, God is nearer to me consciously than anyone in this room. Train yourself to be aware and sensitive to his Holy Spirit. Remember, God is with you. He's near you. He's around you, within you. You have constant access to him through Jesus Christ. I want to share the story. I've shared this once before a long time ago. I had a friend Ray Stockton when we lived in Colorado and we were selling our home um, to move to Dallas uh, so I could attend uh, Christ for the Nations Bible College and um, God did a supernatural work in the selling of our home when we first made the decision, okay God, we're going to do this which is another part of the story um, we decided to We'd we'd lived in our first home, had been there for 10 years, accumulated a lot of stuff. And Cheryl and I said, man, we need to have like several garage sales and get rid of some of this stuff. Anybody ever accumulate a lot of stuff? (laughs) Boy. So we had this, we decided to have a garage sale. It was in June of uh, 94 that we made the decision. God will submit and I'll resign the position I have and had have 13 plus years. We're the owner of a business, and um, we'll relocate to Dallas, and I'll enroll. So we said we're going to have to sell a bunch of stuff and hopefully clear it out then do some paint touch-up. And I'd been working on the basement, as some of you know, for five years trying to finish it because I bought the house with a completely unfinished basement, just four concrete walls. But it built it out, but still needed to paint and trim, that kind of stuff. And... Um, Oh, and the drywall, Uh, put the tape and mud the drywall and sand it, do all that. So um, Cheryl and I are thinking, okay, we can have a couple garage sales. We can start working on the house. Maybe we'll be done, have it ready to put on the market by November. Um, And if the market's good, we can sell it. And maybe, maybe I can jump in at the beginning of the semester in January of 1995. So we had our uh, first garage sale, first one we'd ever have all this stuff out on the driveway in July, beginning of July. Colorado, it's warm. I'm out there in uh, short trunks and a a polo shirt. And uh, people are milling around, looking at the stuff. You know how they do at a garage sale. Will you take this? (laughs) It's only 50 cents. (laughs) You want me to take a quarter? Um, Anyway, this gentleman pulls up in a very nice car in front of the house, uh, gets out of it. He's got a three piece suit on. Very nicely dressed, well groomed. He comes up and just kind of glances over everything. I uh, walk over to him. So, as I recall, it may have said something like, uh, Is there something I can help you find or something you're looking for in particular? And he said, Well, how much you want for that um, ping pong table? So I told him the price we had on it. And so he said, uh, he said Well, are you just having a garage sale or wh- why are you having a garage sale? And I said, Well, we're actually taking a first step on trying to clear some, sell some stuff, because we eventually are going to put the house up for sale. And the gentleman says to me, he says, uh, "You're going to put your house up for sale?" And I said, "Yeah." And he says, "Well, I may be interested in your house." He said, you, "You mind walking me through it?" And so I did. And 14 days later, we had a contract on the house. Never put a, never got a realtor, never put a sign up. God sold our house, and in the midst of that. God brought people to help us because one of the agreements was, can you finish out the last 10% down in the basement? Put the trim up, paint the place, you know. So word got out that Bob and Sherilyn would be moving. We sold our house. And a gentleman we knew, a brother in the Lord named Ray Stockton, gave me a call. And Ray was owned a drywalling business. And he said, hey, Bob, I hear you're moving. I said, yeah. And uh, he said, you're moving down to Dallas to go to Christ for the Nations. I said, yeah. He said, well, I understand you... Uh, Sold your house. And I said, we did, but we got to do, there's some things we got to do. He says, well, I want to help you with that. And he said, what do you need done? So I gave him the list. So these are the things that I need done. I said, "Um, shoot me a price. And he said, God's already spoken to my heart. The cost is zero, and we want to do this for you. So he came in, brought his crew, and they finished mudding and taping and painting and trim and did that. And we sold the home and signed the contract. People came to help us load the truck. And we drove down in August to Christ for the Nations, had bought a purchased a house down there without a job. Didn't have the had to take out a loan. Had a lot of equity that we rolled over, but had still had to take out a loan. Bought a house and enrolled and started school at the end of August. That quick. Ray Stockton came and heard from the Lord. It's amazing how God will orchestrate the right people at the right place in your life and your children's lives as you're faithful just to walk with him. Now, is every day a miracle like that in my life? No. But I can tell you, I've been walking with the Lord, Cheryl and I, for 43 years now. And I can tell you, I can see the fingerprints of God throughout the months and the years of my life. Where it's like, I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord, that was you speaking to that person. Or you put on that. Most recently, I, uh, I was in an accident. Um... Most people here don't know that, Uh, but I was in a car accident about uh, three and a half weeks ago, and uh, it was just a a fender bender. But it was my fault. I was exiting off of uh, on the exit off of I-24 on Medical Center Parkway, and it was during the rush hour. And so I pulled up there, and there's a line of cars. There's like three, four cars in front of me, and we're all one at a time waiting for an opening on Medical Center so we can turn and go. So I'm like fourth car in line. I have my truck. And um, we're waiting, one, two, three. Then it's just the guy in front of me, and then me next. And the guy in front of me saw an opening in the lane closest, so he started to pull out. So I looked back to see if there was time for me to go, and he stopped. So I hit his Volkswagen Passat, I think it was, right in the rear, going about five miles an hour. But with my big truck, which is all steel, didn't just make a dent in this vehicle. But we're both drivable, so we we were there, you know, and then the traffic, you know, you got a line of cars behind you and the people are like, stupid, why did you have to have an accident here? (laughs) How am I going to turn right? It's a rush hour. What are we going to, you know? So I get out of the car. We make, I made sure he's okay. And, uh, I said, Hey, I said, we can wait here for the police if you want to, or we can drive further down. I'll follow you. So this is my fault right up front. I said, we can exchange information and start the process. He said, sure. So we did. We drove, drove down. It was still drivable. And, Pulled over, exchanged information. And uh, he said, Man, he said, I come that way all the time. They should put a light up there. And I said, Well, I said, I'm sure sorry that I wasn't double checking before I moved forward and ran into you. But I'm grateful that everyone's just fine. And it was just, he was just by himself and I was by myself. So when it hit my vehicle, it uh, broke the uh, radiator and uh, a line that comes to the transmission to a box up front pushed it in and so underneath my truck I mean it was just running out like a sieve and as I started to drive down further down into the parking lot further down I could feel the transmission engaging disengaging engaging disengaging I thought oh my gosh so I called my insurance company State Farm been with them for oh my gosh probably 30 years said hey this is what happened this what uh, I need to start a claim and uh I know I got full coverage on it because I always carried on my vehicles. And they said, "Well, actually, Mr. Dudley, you have you have uh, comprehension, but not collision." I said, "You are kidding me." And they said, "No, sir. I'm looking at the policy right here." So <laughs> well, praise the Lord. <laughs> no, I said, "Really?" I said, "When I sold my Malibu and transferred that over, I had I had the car. It was comprehensive and collision. It did not not go over." I don't know how that transpired, but you 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 don't have collision on it. Okay, so the bill was going to be on me. Of course, they would cover the gentleman driving the other car, and so we got rolling on that. And uh, so my son, he heard about it, calls me up. Hey, Dad, what's going on? I said, Well, I've been calling State Farm to their call center on wait repeatedly, trying to get a tow truck to come out and tow the tow the vehicle to where I want to want it to go. They said, Well. My son Chris said, "Well, where do you want it to go?" And he said, "Well, I'm not sure yet. And I'm thinking of a couple places that might do the repairs, but I don't know how much it would cost." And so he said, "Well, hey, let me call my friend Eugene and Leo and see if one of them can come out there and with their tow truck and just tow your vehicle." And I said, "Okay." So he did. So Leo was at a game with his kids that evening. He goes and gets their tow truck and comes out and tows me and hauls me to their place out on the east side of Murfreesboro off of Flat Rock and uh, tows it there and leaves it there. And um, Chris said, hey, I already talked to him. They're going to do the repairs on it for you. And, you, you know, he'll be better than a regular body shop on price. So I said, great. So uh, I'm waiting. He's trying to find. The bumper got bent in, like, close to the wheel with a gap. And, of course, the transmission box, uh, the box that fed the line into it, had to be replaced along with the line and stuff. And so he's working on it. And I keep calling him. Um, hey, uh, you thought it was gonna be done by Monday. It's like it's Tuesday. Can I come pick up my truck? Well, Mr. Dudley, he's just a good old boy. <laughs> um, older than me, but just works. And God has blessed him. And um, Mr. Dudley, he said, I just haven't been able to find that part yet. He said, you call me. You call me back, and I'm Friday. Okay, I call him back on Friday. Mr. Dudley, I found that part. They got it, but it was the wrong part. For the bumper replacement. So I'm still looking at a salvage yard. Okay. Should, do you have an idea or whatever? So I I should have by Thursday next week. Mr. Dudley. (laughs) (coughs) So this went on for several, three and a half weeks now. About three weeks, three and a half weeks. So I went, uh, I called him this week. Thursday. I got that part. I'm putting it on now. You can come pick it up tomorrow. So uh, Friday, we went there to pick it up. And uh, Eugene, he has an amazing testimony, has God blessed him. But uh, I said, Eugene, thanks for, it shows me the truck. It, it's a part replacement off of a salvage yard for the bumper. But um, put a new put a new box in it for the transmission, put transmission fluid and um, antifreeze, um, reconnected the light, all kinds of things. So that, that being said, I said, Eugene, I said, how much do I owe you? Mr. Dudley. I said, Eugene. I said, I know the parts probably cost you that. I said, here. I said, "Um, when you told me $300 on the phone, I borrowed a check. Here's $500. Nope. You take that check back. I said, no. I tried to put it in his pocket. He said, no. He said, you take that back. $300. I'm not going to take any more than that. So $300 to repair my vehicle and reconnect that. It was a... And it wasn't even something like I prayed and said, oh, Lord, please. God's favor. Just on your life, as you seek him and put him first. I'm telling you, that daily established time, it'll make a difference for you. And for those entrusted to your care that you're leading. Walk with him. Talk with him. Establish that in your life. His desire with all his heart is to have fellowship with you. On a regular basis. You're as kids. All right. I wasn't planning on sharing that at 11.33. i got to close out fast. Let me give, um, I did point number four. Let the closeness, oh, number five. Let the clo- closeness of your walking with the Holy Spirit reflect on your face. Ecclesiastes 8:1 says, a person's wisdom brightens their faces and changes its, its hard appearance. Now I realize you can't walk around smiling all the time. I get it. And that troubles and grief and attacks it may intrude, and you have moments of requiring serious thought. I get that. But biblical joy is real. And it's something from within you, from the Spirit of God, not dependent upon the circumstances outside. It's real. Philippians 4.4, New Testament, rejoice in the Lord always. Listen to this. Pastor J.D. on the video mentioned Charles Wesley. He said this, even when we don't control our emotions, we can choose our attitudes. Trust God with our burdens. Turn problems into prayers. And as Charles Wesley said, laugh at life's impossibilities. Laugh at life's impossibilities. Why? Because you have a God of the impossible. None of us is easy, easy. None of it's easy, and I understand that. But I want you to be intentional in your heart. Lean in these next seven days. Set aside time to seek the Lord. Lead your husband, lead your wife, lead your kids. Lead your neighbors, if they will. But have a time with the Lord and let it be the beginning of a spiritual habit and routine that you have established or are just reinforcing if you've already
0: established it in your life. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what he called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing leaving a review on iTunes or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.